both knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 438. Jason Lindgren is with me and Mark McKibben joins us. Um, he's the proprietor of Uriel Pharmacy. Yes, you might notice that that name is from an archangel. And when I say pharmacy, I think a lot of people's eyes are going to glaze over, but you will quickly pick up why we're doing this. Since Fortune came on and everybody, there's been such a surge in, in homeopathy, people wanting to have better access. So we did the Recoweg episodes. The Recoweg was flyaway success. Some people had trouble getting it delivered. And the problem with Recoweg is there's no phone. You can't call somebody. This is different. Mark is actually what I'm going to call someone practicing homeopathy, but he's going to quickly correct me, I think, with other words. But I want you to clue into what we're talking about. He is in this country and he provides things from this country. And what's more, is he's even got doctors that can be contacted to write prescriptions, although that's a whole thing in its own. Maybe we'll get into it. Maybe we won't. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a hot and lovely good morning. All right. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. So is there anything that I just said there that you'd like to correct? Like when I said homeopathy, uh, is there anything you want to add before we put down your contact information? Yes, certainly we fit into the category of homeopathy. That's the most well-known term. And a lot of what we do, of course, we make natural products that we potentize. That's all like homeopathy. From a regulatory standpoint, that's where we fit with uh, FDA manufacturing, homeopathic medicines. But really what we do, we would call it anthroposophic. Sometimes I call it anthropomorphic just so people can pronounce it easier. But anthroposophic, that goes back to Rudolf Steiner and you know, he's connected to Waldorf education, biodynamic farming, things like that. But there's also a medical movement that comes out of that. And we, we do that here in the United States. All right. So before I ask you to lay down contact information and all this, let me, let me tee it up. Uriel Pharmacy makes 1300 products. 85 of them are classified as home remedies. There's some skin care options available as well. As everybody listening knows from the Fortune episodes, there was a senator back in the day who did his best to ensure that what we call homeopathic remedies are available over the counter for supposedly all time to come. What interested me about what Mark's doing is not only is this an inside this country source, which is a big deal because there are not that many of them, but he can also hook you up with someone who could give you an RX for things that don't necessarily need it, but you can see what I'm saying here. It's a way to run under radar. As we talk about these things that are so interesting, we have to be so careful of the things we say. You have no idea how careful we have to be just to talk about this. Um, cause we don't want the AMA squashing us like a bug. So, you know, th there it is. Let me say one more thing. Mark's manager reached out to Crow triple seven radio and he made the contact. We are going to create a sponsored link. So all those little image things to the products that I have used and appreciate, there will be one more there that goes to Uriel pharmacy. And we haven't worked out what the discount or how that will work yet, but we intend to do that. There you go, Mark. Can you tell people? how to contact you. Yeah. If you go on the web to www.shopuriel.com, that's shopuriel.com. That'll get you started. Okay. I think there are numbers and emails and stuff available there. Everybody should know that the manager of this establishment is a member at Crow 777 Radio, but let's 
let's come right out of the gate. Uh, when I met you to try to vet out if we could do a show, uh, you went all the way back to Hanuman and um, previous guests like Fortune to St. Germain and others always cite Hanuman. How did you, so you were trained as a pharmaceutical, I guess, manufacturer. Is that right? Yeah, my training, uh, I was studying science in college for some reason, and a doctor told me I should become a doctor, but I didn't have grades to get into medical school. So he said, become a pharmacist. We need somebody in anthroposophic medicine in the United States to make these things. So that led me to go to pharmacy school. There is no real official training other than working with companies. So I worked with Standard Homeopathic and uh, before I went to pharmacy school, and then I worked with other companies, both in the United States, Germany, and Switzerland to really learn how to do this. So what we're talking about is actually they're teaching you the production of what we would call allopathic medicines. Is that correct? No, they were teaching me the production of anthroposophic homeopathic medicines. The pharmacy school teaches you about conventional medicine. So that's, that's my training and background, but I only went to pharmacy school. So I would have a, a license, so to speak, to work in this other field because I was interested in this from a, a early age, like, you know, 21, I was going to pharmacy school. So to be clear, he went the mainstream training route so he could get into homeopathy. Basically, that's it in a nutshell. That's it. So of the 1300 products that people might commonly want from you, are most all of them just over, over the counter? Almost all of them are over the counter. Yeah. And, and any discount would apply to almost all of them. There might be a few that, that it doesn't apply to that are prescription, but yeah. So let's cut to brass tacks. You're creating these in-house, you're bottling them. If I remember our previous, are you succussing or using vibration? Are you succussing the, the remedies? Yeah, we, we would, it is succussing. We do it all by hand, which is unusual. Most companies have switched to using machines. Uh, we think that's important. So we call it potentizing. Now, just as an aside, the way that Hahnemann originally succussed the remedies was he had a a leather-bound Bible, and he would take the, the bottle and basically pound it against the, the Bible, which causes a sort of chaotic movement of mixing, and that's effective, that's fine, but we do something that's different for liquid potencies, as we call them, um, for each succussing step, or, or which call it a potentizing step. We lift it up in a, a vertical line and cause a vortex to be created, which is a much more orderly, we think, dynamic form. And so that's done in a slow rhythmical process about the rhythm of breathing, not exactly, but it's, we like lifting up the substance instead of pounding it down. Okay. So basically we're talking about the mixing. We've heard about vibration and people have different views on vibration. Succussing the original way that I saw it defined was you're holding a bottle remedy in your hand and you're basically not hitting it hard, but tapping it against the palm of your hand. Hahnemann used a leather-bound Bible. But during our conversation, at the moment I knew I was going to interview Mark, he began to talk about who's allowed to bottle up the remedies. And he comprehended that you need a pure heart. In the old days, people might have said prayers. They might have knelt before an altar. They might have done any number of spiritual things as they were making these remedies, because the idea is in the same way that the succussing is somehow charging or potentizing the spirit of the individual putting it together counts. Would you add anything to that? We definitely try to choose people who can bring focus and attention to what they're doing, not somebody who's going to 
randomly think about what they saw on TV yesterday or what's for lunch at, at noon. Uh, we ask them to focus on what they might know about any of the ingredients, you know, or if, if they don't know anything about the ingredients, some of which are kind of arcane, to just focus on the fact that we're preparing something for somebody who's working through an illness and that this can mean something for their life. So we just want to allow good energy to come into that. So compared to Europe, and what I know of Europe is I feel like there's a lot more homeopathic options over in Europe than there are here. And I, I want to talk about all these things, but there are real limitations to us having a conversation like this. And it's not imagine, it's not <laughs> imagined. I've been doing this long enough. But I recently learned that in Europe, the second biggest cancer treatment that people go for that's homeopathic is mistletoe. And in this country, I don't think anyone would even be aware of that or ever hear it. Yeah, it's not well known, but I, I would say my, my knowledge is it's the biggest alternative treatment for cancer in Europe. And it's not the biggest treatment on its own, but it's the biggest alternative treatment, specifically in Germany, where there's a number of manufacturers over there that, that make mistletoe and provide that. And that's something that comes out of anthroposophic medicine and Rudolf Steiner's insight. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. During our discussion, I, uh, I discovered that you're uh, very into Steiner and knew quite a bit about it. Um, Steiner is one of the guys where I was aware of him for so long. And then as I actually got off my butt and started reading through the volumes of stuff that he put together and others about him, uh, it, it shows that there was a time probably pre-1930 when homeopathy held a much more prominent portion of medical offerings in this country. As a matter of fact, a previous guest informed us that right as it was about getting ready to go away at the level it once was, these doctors were both MDs and homeopaths at the same time, and they ended up being the last generation. But let's switch gears. What are some, are we going to call these treatments or rem remedies? Let's call them remedies. The treatment would be something more outlined by a doctor, which might include other modalities like massage or diet or movement therapy, speech therapy. There's a lot of different things for a whole regimen, but we're the, we're the remedy substance part. So I'm an hour one, so I'm going to carefully choose my words and I hope you can pick up what I'm laying down. But in these times, what would be some of the more popular over-the-counter remedies that people would be interested in? Well, certainly the over-the-counter things, we have something for all the typical things, the coughs and colds and aches and pains, traumas. We have things also for after effects of vaccinations or to prevent side effects of vaccination. We can't claim that, of course. They're just homeopathic medicines we have. We can't really make a claim like that. But really, anything that you could think of, our medicines could apply to. That's why we like referring to doctors to get the best overall treatment for a person. We don't want to assume that we know exactly uh, what the person needs. So beyond those 85 home remedies where we put indications on the, on the website, the other things don't really have specific indications. We leave it to doctors to work it out with the patient. So if, if somebody was to email you or a call and say, hey, I have this issue and I'm interested in a remedy, can you steer them in the right direction? If it's beyond those home remedies, we would just steer them to a physician. And, you know, there's, there's never enough physicians, but we steer them to the list of doctors that are willing to, to take new patients. 
and leave it at that. We don't get into prescribing for people. If we were talking about over-the-counter remedies, would you, I mean, can you, I want to say get away with steering people in a direction? Because the reason I'm asking is because I notice a lot of places that have remedies, almost every label will say this is good for a headache. <laughs> when, you, yeah. when, you, when you know darn well that there's a wider, there, there's more benefits going on there than is allowed to be on the label. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I like to say we've got like a thousand remedies for headache because the the regulators give me such a headache, so to speak. <laughs> but we can steer people. Like if they say, you know, I, I have flu, we can discuss, well, is it more of a, you know, body ache flu or is it is it a digestive flu? Or, you know, we can steer them to different remedies for what kind of flu it is. We can talk about the home remedy things and say, well, this, we can recommend this. Sure. So. What is the difference between me using the word homeopathic and you using the word anthroposophic? Well, for the patient, it doesn't really matter. I would say anthroposophic means there are some differences in how we go about making the extracts. Like, I mean, I've worked in homeopathic medicine, I've trained in it, and you know, a lot of what we do is similar to that. But we'll use rhythmical processes, for example, besides the potentizing, which is rhythmical. We'll make plant extracts by chopping up a plant very finely, mixing it with water, and, and usually not alcohol. Sometimes we'll use alcohol if it's for an external product like calendula uh, essence or arnica essence for external use. Um, but for most of our products, we make aqueous extracts, and then we put them in an incubator. So it's a dark enclosed incubator, and we do that. We keep it in there for seven days, but we take it out at sunrise and sunset and do a process where we'll cool it down in an ice, ice water bath and we'll stir it and we'll expose it outdoors to the light of the sunrise. So imagine an hour before sunrise, the sky is dark, the uh, stars are out. This product is getting exposed to the energy of the, the dawn that unfolds by the time it's an hour after sunset the day is fully begun. So it's gone from basically the dark into the light. Then we stir it and put it back in the incubator. And in the evening, an hour before sunset, you know, the sun is declining. We're going into a different time of day. It feels different. Uh, we put it out again and stir it and go until an hour after sunset when it's now basically dark. And, you know, there's a special energy at sunrise and sunset. People notice that if they just stand and watch the sunrise or watch the sunset. You know, it speaks to our heart that there's something special. There's colors happening that you don't see at noon. So we think that adds a dynamic to the product. And we've, you know, I can't prove it to you, but I think that there's something in that that makes it a stronger medicine to, to help the person. Like, like a healing gesture goes into the production of all of these products. Well, you're speaking my language, and I feel like I can prove it to you. I always say that the morning sun is not the afternoon sun, is not the evening sun. And by the way, your basil in the morning is not doing what your basil in the afternoon is doing, is not doing what your basil in the evening is doing. Yeah. And we have done a, a large number of alchemy and surrounding ideas. And how many of the old woodcuts and other things from alchemy does it show them collecting the morning dew? Yeah, yeah. To me, it's not really, I mean, people may deny that there's anything to it, but I, I can't understand that one bit. And this is one of the things that totally drew me to you because it is this detail and this, what I'll call spiritual concern, which really is the difference between a good 
product and a great product in my mind. Yeah. And our, our purpose isn't really just to make and sell products. I mean, I'm philosophically aligned with this. We're trying to create a whole different way of looking at medicine. You know, the, the medical model that's out there, you know, you know, we've talked about this. It, it has uh, advantages for like emergency medicine, but for chronic disease, they're not very good. And really, we need to create something that will be the medicine of the future that could include, you know, a lot of different alternative approaches, but, you know, would be scientific, but spiritual scientific, and really look to understand what is the disease that the person's working through. What does this have to do with things like karma? I mean, it opens up a whole vista of ideas that a lot of people don't usually think about, certainly not in regular medicine. Well, th this is to our deficit, and I think it's plain on the face of it. If we go to allopathy, there is no spiritual concern. According to them, or how they're going to act, there is no spiritual life in a human being. It will never be recognized, considered, or implemented in any way within how those treatments go. And what's more, almost never will what you eat be talked about. And this is why I align myself with people like you. I'm hoping, praying for the day when more people demand access to homeopathy, over-the-counter things. And when you get into the spiritual side of it, to me, this is what really elevates it to that super special level. Uh, it's more than just what we would call a remedy at that point. But the other thing I noticed was you guys are making like things that most people aren't making, like phosphorus. You cited that there were so many restrictions trying to get your hands on phosphorus. You just said, fine, we'll make it ourselves. Yeah, I, I love this attitude, you know, the, the can-do attitude. I mean, phosphorus used to be something that you could purchase, and I've, I've purchased it earlier in my career. It's something that comes in little cubes or sticks. So the problem is that when it gets exposed to air, it ignites. So it's a dangerous substance. It, it's, it's a hazmat kind of shipment. But they would put it in a metal container covered in water, and they would put that container in another metal container covered in water, and they would ship it like that. But, you know, in the last... I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe further back. I'm not sure when uh, it stopped being available because, you know, either people were using it for, you know, producing illegal drugs or it all goes into weapons. It became like a controlled substance. So unavailable and, and even homeopathically where you don't use a big quantity because you're potentizing, you use a small quantity. Uh, eventually you run out and you need more and you can't buy it from anybody. So it took some doing. You can still buy something called uh, red phosphorus. The white or yellow phosphorus is the activated form of phosphorus, which is the one with the hazards. Red phosphorus, you can put it in a bottle and you know ship it without too much ado. You can still buy it, but it's not activated. And it's a little bit complex how to turn it into that. It's, it's a chemical procedure that you have to undertake in manufacturing. Interestingly, just for worldwide communication and the advantages, we there's a Chinese guy in Australia that just put out a video of how he experimented with making this. And that was very helpful to us because all the people that we talked to at universities and, and in manufacturing, nobody really knew how to do this effectively. Do you feel like the quality of what you're producing has an edge on what you would otherwise have to buy? I think so, because when, you, when you're engaged as a human being in what you do, there's a kind of enthusiasm that goes into that. You know? and, and for me, I think that adds to the product.
I feel like I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but I'm going to ask you one more question before I ask Jason if he wants to get in on this. As I've mentioned so many times, my interest in the sky clock, in my mind, is hand in glove with what you are doing. And I pray for the day when thousands of people get back into homeopathy. They appreciate the sunrise, the sky clock, all the things that once were integral to these processes. But you named yourself after an archangel. And I want to ask you in just a moment about that, but I'll remind everybody Tycho Brahe is one of my heroes. And the reason he's one of my heroes is because he did it. He got off his butt. He went out and observed. He used his direct observation with the sky that exists. And he basically invented the, the basis for what we call astronomy. He proved that this star is exactly right here with aberration and everything else. And he said, I can show you this in a month or a year and it'll still be true. But what's more, is he gave us a so-called solar system map, which is going to relate to why I'm asking Mark about Uriel. If you recall, Tycho Brahe put forth a solar system map. I'm saying so-called solar system map. And then later on, guess who came along and touted and backed up? Steiner came and backed up almost exactly what Brahe had done. So from our point of view, from here to the moon would be the realm of angels. Archangels would be from the moon to what we call Venus, then Archi, and out it goes. So I just want to lay that down to refresh memories. Why is it that you chose the Archangel Uriel for the name of what you're doing? You know, I, I guess in a way, I'd say kind of a divine guidance. I used to run a pharmacy in California called Raphael Pharmacy. And, you know, there are stories in the Bible that talk about Raphael as the healing archangel, the story of Tobias and the, and the archangel Raphael that looks for a healing substance to cure his father who's blind. So that pharmacy still existed, so I couldn't take the name Raphael. And I thought about the other archangels that Rudolf Steiner talks about. And Uriel was one that not a lot is talked about. I mean, it's mentioned in the, the book of Enoch, which is in the extended Bible or the Catholic Bible. And he was one of the archangels that, that threw Satan out of heaven. So in a way, that's like the battle against the materialistic science, you know? And Uriel always stands for the truth, looks down on humanity, he says, with a sort of judging eye, not, not judging in a negative sense, but holding to the truth and just comparing the mistaken ideas that people often get into, even intentionally mistaken ideas, with the cosmic truth. But in, I like to say to, to people, you know, Uriel doesn't put up with any BS. So in, in your organization, you can't be doing things for the wrong reason. It sort of challenges you to do things for the right reasons. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's an interesting choice because in, the, the thing that I've always loved about the idea of alchemy is it is or it isn't. Either it works or it doesn't work. It's that simple. Have you done it correctly? Did you follow the systems that the creation shows you are real or did you go astray? But anyhow, Jason, you want to jump in on this? So have you had any uh, interesting interactions with any quote unquote authority figures because of what you do and their challenging of your medical practices? Well, we're inspected regularly by FDA. So that's our main contact. We're pretty low profile. We don't do a lot of advertising. We're a pretty small company. Depends on who the agents are when they come out. Sometimes they can be hostile. Sometimes they're just 
don't know, mostly they don't know a lot about homeopathy. So they're just following a routine, you know, they're bureaucrats, you know, we try to cooperate, we try to work with them and make a good connection with them. It's much, much better than being hostile back, you know, but if you have to know how to defend yourself if somebody becomes hostile towards you. So there's, you have resources in the background if you need to work something out with, with attorney's advice or something. But basically, we haven't had a lot of trouble to this point. And, you know, knock on wood, I, I hope that continues. I'm happy to just quietly provide homeopathic anthroposophic medicines. And, you know, those that are attracted to them can come to them. And we're not trying to become gigantic. So do you feel like when you come to get inspected, do you feel like there's a dim view of what you're doing because you are creating over-the-counter remedies or is that not the case? No, I would say mostly they're just unaware of what this kind of medicine is all about. Sometimes I'll even you know, be bold enough to say to them, for example, the, the first inspectors that, that came many years ago, um, I had just uh, become aware that in China, where China and India is where most of the pharmaceutical drugs are produced at this point, just because of cheap costs. And there they get inspected by the FDA approximately every 37 years. And even if they, <laughs> even if they get inspected, the, the manufacturing company in China gets to provide the translator and you have to make an appointment. You can't just walk in like they walk in on, on me. It's a surprise visit. So I said, look, I'll, I'll understand if you can't come next year because you've got to get out to China and catch up on that backlog. You know, we're just making things from St. John's wort and Arnica and, you know, various harmless substances. It, I mean, it's okay with me if you want to take care of those guys in China. Mm. So they, they took that with good humor. You know, we offer them a cup of coffee and try to get along with them. I, I didn't realize so many people who went for the Recoweg remedies. Um, I was so nervous that they were going to see all the orders coming in and mess with it. To some degree, they did. Customs was holding things, not allowing it to be delivered. I even saw one place where they were demanding, uh, customs was demanding a passport to deliver a homeopathic remedy. Uh, if I understood correctly, uh, Amazon was contacted and they dealt with it directly and the remedy was delivered. But Let's talk about what the what the form of some of the homeopathics take. Now, most of us are familiar with things like Recoweg. And while I haven't used every Recoweg, I'm familiar, and most of them are an alcohol base or, you know, they're they're extracted with alcohol. But you mentioned an uh, a water-based one, which is very interesting to me. And I think during our first conversation, you talked about capsules or tablets of some kind. Can we kind of cover what's available? Yeah, I mean, really, we make just about every dosage form you can imagine. Uh, we make tablets and capsules. We make oral liquids. We have the small sugar pillules or pellets, as we call them, that dissolve under the tongue. Uh, there's a lot of topical medicines, both liquids like arnica and calendula that you would dilute for compresses or baths, but also creams, ointments, gels, nasal sprays, you know, eardrops, just about anything you could think of, we we have. And, you know, I'll mention the remedies, we didn't invent them all. It really goes back to doctors and to Rudolf Steiner working with doctors. And, you know, every month or every week, there's a, another doctor that has a new request for a remedy. So we let the doctors decide what they want. I can advise on, you know, what's possible or give them advice if they want, but we're not, we're the opposite of big pharma that you know, the marketing department decides what's the next big thing and they cook up stuff in the lab and push it on doctors. 
So we don't. We receive the ideas from doctors because that's where a healthy medicine should come from. So if you were going to describe, is there a significant difference from the average listener's point of view between anthroposophic medicine, what we would call a homeopathic or a spagyric? Would you consider that spagyric and homeopathic are almost hand in glove? Well, they're certainly related. There are differences. I mean, spagyric goes back really to alchemical ideas. And some of what we do in rhythmical processing connects to that. We also do something, I didn't mention that before, with our plant extracts, we will take at the end when we press out and separate the plant matter, the fresh plants separated from the liquid, we'll dry that plant matter and we'll turn it into ash. And then we'll take a tiny portion of the ash and add it back to the liquid extract, which goes in the direction of some of the things that were done alchemically. And we have a few remedies where we do definite alchemical processes where we'll like separate the plant into several parts. Then there's the, the principles of sal, mercury, and sulfur. You know, the, the sulfur principle is, for example, if you distill off essential oils from a plant, that's the, you're separating the sulfur principle out. The sal principle comes when you ash the plant and extract salts from the ash. That's those, that's the sal principle. And then this, the intermediate breathing mercury process in between, that's, that's really this exposure of the plant to sunrise and sunset. That's a breathing process. So there are alchemical ideas that come right into anthroposophic medicine. And for me, it's not so important exactly what we call them. It's, you know, it's what are you doing? Is this, is this needed for making this product what it needs to be? So I think you just kind of underscored one of the really important ideas of also why I wanted to do this episode. For those that have followed, there's a book called Spagyrics by Manfred Junius. If you want a full-on breakdown from a guy who was a chemist and an alchemist um, on what was just laid down here, you can see the whole processes. Do you, when you're when you're making remedies, do you ever go through like an exaltation stage or things like that, that would be a definite alchemical throwback? No, I guess not by that, that word. I think it just depends on, on the product. It's a big field, anthroposophic medicine. We, we, you know, I struggle to get to the bottom of it and even just run a day-to-day -day business doing that. But I, I'm open to all ideas that doctors bring. And if somebody brought me an idea that they'd like us to do something, we'd be open to consider it. So one of the bullet points is that Uriel makes products designed by doctors. Can you expound on that? Yeah, because not all medicines that are there might be suitable for what the doctor wants to do. I mean, it's an awful lot of remedies, 1,300. But sometimes a doctor says, you know, I've been thinking about something and I want to make something different. I want you to take the ash of this plant and potentize it for me and put it in this dosage form. And, you know, we can't obviously do that for everybody that wants one unit because that would be cost prohibitive. But if we can arrive at something between price and quantity that, that works, we want the doctors to be thinking about what, what they think could be needed, either for a general condition or for a specific idea they have about, say, how, how silica works in a certain plant, like the horsetail plant, the Equisetum arvense. It's 90% silica in the ash, which is very unusual for plants. And some doctor was thinking about this and related it to the silica processes that go on in the human being, which is 
it gets deep water very quickly. But if they're thinking about something, we want to be available to them as a resource because that's what, you know, you could say, well, why do that? From a business standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless it turns into a big product. But the purpose of this organization is really to be a support to creating a new way of medicine in the future where this could become more a normal kind of medicine for the future instead of a far fringe thing that only is available to very motivated people. Yeah, that's kind of the whole the whole tack for what I'm trying to pull off here. I do everything I can to try to put homeopathy back on the radar. But if if I'm following the thread you've been weaving, that implies to me that the doctors you're working with are homeopaths. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. They may also be, I mean, anybody who's a prescriber can be an anthroposophic doctor. Most of ours are MDs and DOs. Many are naturopaths. Some are nurse practitioners or physician assistants, but anybody who can prescribe can practice this kind of medicine. Now, that doesn't mean they have to write a prescription for everything we have, because as you said, homeopathic medicines, on the, for the most part, are non-prescription over-the-counter medicines. But we look for the doctors to prescribe the therapy for the patient rather than the patient either prescribing for themselves or us working it out for them. We want to support the, the doctors because that's what creates the new medicine of the future. So can you get listeners referrals to naturopaths or homeopathic doctors? Yeah. If, if people contact us, they can, they can email us through the website and request a list of physicians that take new patients. We won't recommend one physician over another. But if nobody is, is in your town or your city, which probably they aren't, there aren't that many across the country, but uh, some will do telephone appointments you know, or Zoom appointments. And we just leave that between patients and the doctors, how they work that out to make an appointment and whatever it costs for them. That's separate from us providing the remedies. All right. Let me say this delicately before I get Jason back in here and see if people have been paying attention. What if somebody was interested in mistletoe? Could you refer them to a doctor to learn more about that? Yeah, we give them the same list of doctors and, you know, we can't vouch for who is familiar with that and who isn't. They'd have to kind of do their own research to find which doctors could help them there. So your approach to things, do you recommend people getting off pharmaceuticals or can use things in tandem with it? Are things interchangeable? How do you uh, generally approach these things? Yeah, I'm always in favor of, of using as few pharmaceutical drugs as you possibly can. I mean, you know, if you're a diabetic and you're insulin dependent, then I, I'm not going to say stop using that. I mean, there's you got to look at every case individually. But there was an interesting uh, study done by uh, a woman. She was a, an editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and she published an article in about early 2000s. I forget the exact reference, but she pointed out that over 100,000 people a year die from the use of pharmaceutical drugs. And that doesn't mean overdoses or taking the wrong drug, just the normal side effects of the approved drugs, 100,000 people a year, maybe 130,000. And she said, we're, you know, she didn't really believe the studies, although this is the person that approved the studies for publishing in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, she's retired at this point, I don't even know if she's still around. This was probably 20 years ago, but they're harmful on the whole. So of course, personally, and as a professional, as a pharmacist, I don't encourage people to be using those drugs. If you have to, we'll do what we can with other therapies. Well, it's gotten so bad in our time that one thing is prescribed to a person, which then has side effects, 
So they prescribe another thing for the side effects, which also has side effects. It's gotten yeah. so, so bad that when I watch television, I'll see like a commercial for an eczema drug and some of the side effects, you might consider them deadly. It's just, they are. And you know, when that started happening, that they were even allowed to advertise directly to the patients, you know, this is really an egregious misuse of, of power. They shouldn't be driving the patients to go tell the doctors, Hey, I want to get some of this stuff. You know, it's, it's kind of subverting the medical profession. The doctors should be deciding that kind of like turn turns them into the pusher, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, just to mention with in, in Europe, with what they found, they, there's a lot of studies on mistletoe. Maybe we can you know, talk more about that later, but they find that they can use less chemotherapy if they're simultaneously using mistletoe. Now, we don't get into that at that level, but and we're certainly not prescribing, but there are times that you can use things together to benefit. That's an hour two thing. Let's bring mistletoe up because I really want to an hour two. Go ahead, Jason. You're about to say something. From your point of view, for anyone who doesn't understand, how would you explain that pharmaceuticals are not good for you? Well, they're poisonous. If you read the package insert for most drugs, there's a long list of side effects. And as you say, many of them are potentially deadly. You know, many of them have to do with lowering your awareness. If something makes you drowsy, that means you're not going to be able to think so well. And a lot of drugs have drowsiness as, a, as a, what's called a minor side effect. But there's a lot of major side effects just because they don't happen to everybody doesn't mean that they aren't happening to somebody. I mean, there's been other studies that show how many people are killed every year from normal use of pharmaceutical drugs. It's, it's a dangerous thing when you think, well, gee, the Vietnam War, you know, 56,000 people died over 10 years, but this is over 100,000 year after year. But people go to sleep on those kind of things. One of the few markets that doesn't mind losing some customers, huh? Or maybe it's designed that way. Who knows? But the book I mentioned earlier, Spagyrics, and anyone who's interested in the vein of remedies that we're addressing here should get that book. One of the things that I learned from that book was the chemist who is an alchemist. So he can tell you hydrogen is this to a chemist, and it means this other thing to an alchemist. He said that in the alchemy or Alchemy of the plant kingdom, the spagyric process, they basically break a thing apart, they purify it, and then they do the alchemical wedding and put it together. And for certain things, they'll go a step further and they'll do what's called exalting it. And then he said, um, the typical method for a pharmaceutical drug is the breaking apart. They don't go any further. Rarely did they go any further. Would you add anything to that, Mark? Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah, I guess in the sense that they, they break it down to a specific individual substance. So it's very much the, the micro approach looking for a highly active single substance. I never thought about it that way, but I guess you could, could look at it that way. And of course, that's why they're, they often are poisonous because they're looking for something that's highly reactive so that it will do something. And that's where you get into the side effects. Almost every pharmaceutical drug is not harmless. Because they're powerful, they're very one-sided, very specific, but they aren't skilled enough to make it specific in a positive way. It's, it's really specific, but it's, it branches out by poisoning other things, as for example, chemotherapy or you know, almost any drug, you know, antidepressants, every category is pretty much the same. Individual substances that are highly active, but their therapeutic window is narrow and then it becomes toxic. 
you know, there's a when I read the really old stuff, because I try to get the oldest spagyric or alchemical ideas just to know and try to get in my mind, how were they thinking about healing in those days? I think it's a Paracelsus quote, but I don't remember. As a matter of fact, I think it was given in the book Spagyrics that I mentioned. But the claim from the old alchemist Paracelsus is that if it's not used by the body to build or part of the body that would be used, it can't possibly heal anything. That was the mindset back then. So when they were thinking that way, the idea of somehow concocting a chemical to actually heal would be preposterous. But Mm. Jason and I have interviewed, I don't know, Jason, three, four doctors at this point that have said no pharmaceutical ever cured anything. And I thought when I first heard that, I thought, come on, how can that be? And so immediately I said, well, what about an antibiotic? And they said, well, of course, if you take an antibiotic and you have a terrible infection, it will do that along with everything else it's going to do. But they stuck to their guns. They said that there is no pharmaceutical drug that's ever cured anything except for something like an antibiotic dealing with infection. Do you think that's, do you think that's correct? You know, that's an interesting question. It, it could be. I mean, I know doctors that say even antibiotics aren't always doing what we think they do. Some doctors hold that they are massive anti-inflammatories and infections are really an inflammatory process. So it can damp down that inflammation. The affection appears to go away, but it comes back in another way. Like maybe you'll get arthritis later or some other chronic disease because you suppressed an acute inflammatory process. And Steiner talks also about how infection happens. And he wasn't somebody that promoted the germ theory idea, which is so well embedded in the scientific, material scientific outlook. So I, I think one has to look closer at all these things. I hadn't really thought about it that way, that whether pharmaceutical drugs have ever cured anything. I mean, we know that for the most part, they, they have an effect on the body that pushes things around. But say blood pressure, blood pressure isn't cured by taking antihypertensive drugs. You know, there is some question whether they do much at all, but you got to keep taking something to keep that symptom under control. And then it causes other things to go out of control. So there could be something to that. I haven't thought it through. So I'm going to ask Jason to lead us to the top of the hour here in a minute, but I wanted to ask you specifically about your remedies. Are you making poly... I forget the word for it. You know what I mean? Poly, so many things combined or is like some of the eggs are one thing, but do you create poly compiled remedies or whatever the proper way to say that would be, or, or are they individual based remedies? Yeah, both, both. I know classical homeopathy has always been the administering of one remedy. That's really where Hahnemann started. But of course in homeopathy and, and there's combinations or compounds, I would call them. And we do compounds also, or one, one uh, medicine creator called them compositions. I thought that was an interesting form. For example, there's things for, for use in back pain that combine seven, eight, nine different substances. So it really depends what the doctors want and what they find helpful. I'm not on principle saying it should be lots of remedies or it should be one remedy. And if somebody's taking a single remedy, they might be taking three different single remedies. It's just whatever the doctor finds helpful. Well, with my mentor that is also a homeopath, I am all about the poly remedies and I've experienced firsthand what is possible 
So before we sign off for hour one, and we want you to give your contact out again, have you had any success with mainstream doctors starting to see the way you present things as it might be a better solution than the pharmaceuticals? We definitely refer doctors that come across our radar to the training programs that are offered by the, there's a physician's association in the United States, the PAAM, Physician's Association for Self-Medicine. And every spring they have a training course where they'll train people for an entire week and that gets repeated year by year. So doctors who are unfamiliar with this can totally go to that and gradually get introduced to this, meet other colleagues with more experience and develop into them. Usually a person has to have, a doctor will have to have some kind of interest that's driving them there. Some kind, something is awakening them to consider other avenues, but I always refer people there. All right. Well, when we come back, I'm going to ask you to give out your contact information, but I just want to cover this really quickly. When we come back in hour two, I want to bring up some things that we really can't talk about in open public, not because I'm worried about it, but because this man's doing a thing and he doesn't need any roadblocks thrown in his way. And I think people know what I'm referring to. I want to cover a number of things that just, you know, could generally be censored. And while I'm not really that worried about it at this point, I do my best for the people who come on who are willing to speak with us to not cause waves in an ocean that's already a big enough pain in the you know what. But when we come back, Mark, could we, if there was someone who felt like maybe they were damaged from a medical procedure, I think you know what I'm getting at. Would there be remedies that people are seeking out for that? Because we could cover that an hour or two. Uh, there was a physician that recommended a few things for those kind of situations. Yeah, we could talk about that. Okay, perfect. We, we will talk about that an hour or two. And uh, I want to get into mistletoe uh, quite a bit more an hour or two. Yeah, as far as we can, I'm happy to, to discuss. Well, you draw the line. Uh, we'll take it as far as you think is cool. Jason, um, can you think anything else that's important to get into hour one before we get contact again? No, and most of the stuff I would ask would be in hour two. So Mark, can you please give contact? This is hour one open to the world. Just give your contact one more time, uh, which is going to be primarily the website here. Right. You can contact uh, Uriel through www.shopuriel. That's shopuriel.com. And I will point out, it's one thing to come on a podcast like we do here, but one of the managers is actually subscribed here and did the introduction. And to me, this is a real shift in the world. This is minds opening up to possibilities. And I would rather live in a world any day of the week where an open mind will consider all these other options. Because when I look backwards in time at education, at so-called medicine, at even banking, uh, there were times when human beings mattered more than they do now. And it is my hope that people will take an interest in homeopathy and all that it has to offer. I mean, I was always into it, but then after I met Fortune and some other people, I witnessed firsthand, this is amazing. How come more people don't know about this? If we start having people seek it out, demand it, ask for it, Maybe it'll take a prominent place in our lives again. All right, there it is. There is hour one of episode 438. We are basically talking with Mark McKibben from Uriel Pharmacy, who is creating remedies, to put it very flatly, for the first hour. 
The first hour is free at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And the second or full show, second hour and full show is available to membership. And as I said, on the other side, we're going to talk about a few things that's really not safe for people who come on the show to talk about when they're trying to make a living and run things. Anyhow, with that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers. Belief is the enemy of knowing.